Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on business, investing, and finance. I like to bring on guests to hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. My next guest has over 15 years of marketing experience with an emphasis on building marketplace businesses. A marketplace is an application with two audiences on one platform. Some examples you may be familiar with include Zillow, Airbnb, Etsy, Groupon, and eBay. This is not an easy business to start because you have to figure out what types of marketing and sales strategies attract each audience. In this episode, we talk about how to start a marketplace, how to bootstrap marketing, and how to balance growth between the two audiences. Please welcome Brandon Cobb. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me, Sean. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Sure. So I've been marketing for 15 years, uh, both in-house and and out-of-house consulting, most recently consulting a handful of businesses. And, you know, I very ROI focused and and how do you get to uh, profitability and is a lot of times about how much value you're creating and with how much value you're creating, it's about uh, in many cases for the the clients have been helping uh, getting to a a bit of critical mass on uh, a network effect or like a dual marketplace. And so increasing the amount of uh, people on both sides of the market there. Right on. So I really like the marketplace model. It is not for the faint of heart. I would say it's a harder model to create. Um, I've attempted it in the past. I had a failure going back about 10 years ago as like a Groupon uh, competitor where you have your businesses, consumers on one platform. But before we really dive into the marketplace model, some of the success you've seen, do's and don'ts, all that good stuff. Why don't you give us your definition of a marketplace just for the audience's context? Yeah, so I would say a marketplace, uh, you know, in most modern terms, tends to be online on a platform. But it, it, traditionally, you know, it's anywhere where two different groups of people meet uh, with different needs that are their needs uh, somewhat um, work together so that the one side needs the other side's needs. And, and there's an exchange of uh, services, goods, knowledge. There's an exchange there. And there's usually a need for each side's um, uh, what they can provide to each other. Sure. Well put. Why did you double down and decide to focus on the marketplace model? Well, uh, you know, so I had read this, probably a lot of your viewers have have heard of Jim Collins, great business author. And he had written a book. uh, It was like a later portion of his series of the good to great series. And it was called turning the flywheel and that turning the flywheel, just building that it was, it's all about building momentum and like the more momentum you get and the more you start to just build natural synergy. And so for me, I related that to a lot of what I was seeing in the workforce and that the way to build that synergy, the way to build that momentum was by, um, balancing the growth on both sides of the marketplace. So you need to, neither side of the marketplace needs to become unbalanced. They need to grow together. Sure, absolutely. So why don't you tell us about maybe a a first project or business that you got started with in this space? Because you said you've been doing this about 15 years. That's right, yeah. So, you know, uh, first I'll say, I see the need for this basically everywhere and almost any business. I mean, if you 
think in just a traditional retail space, it's, you know, how many suppliers you have and what you can supply to the consumers makes it more valuable for the consumers to come into the store. And the more consumers that come into the store, the more valuable it is for the suppliers to be wanting to work with you. When I started doing this consulting about a year and a half, two years ago, Mm. uh, specifically just going, you know, and helping a lot, a lot of clients instead of working in-house, one of the first companies I worked with was a venture capital backed uh, startup named Simply Homes. I was coming out of the real estate industry uh, doing marketing for a traditional brokerage, but Simply Homes uh, was building this dual marketplace where there would be institutional investors coming in saying they needed, let's say, like in Cincinnati, Ohio, maybe we'd get an order for a thousand homes that they want to purchase. And then we would need to go find a thousand home sellers. So uh, with this being said, it was the first, uh, I mean, it it was a situation where a SaaS platform, which was creating a valuation of the home value, as well as how much repairs are needed. And then once repairs are done, how much it could be turned around and flipped. So this is part of the value they're creating for the the investors to come in. But even with that technology of providing all the valuations, it's no good if we don't have the home sellers. So we need the home sellers to make the value for the investors coming in uh, to achieve their goal. And then the more home sellers you have, the more you need home investors, because if you have uh, if you have people coming wanting to sell their home to you and you don't have people to buy their home, then you're no good either. So this was one of the first times I've seen this on the, the SaaS platform. I've, a lot of times I did it out in the, the brick and mortar field. But, you know, and that is the same way back in traditional real estate, too, in the brokerage model. The more agents to have, the more valuable it is for clients to come work with you because there's more relationships, more uh, off-market listings and different things agents toss around. And the more clients you have, the more it attracts uh, more agents to come and work for your brokerage. So I would say that was uh, an, an interesting experience. And if you want, I can tell you how you know we you can kind of go about achieving getting people on both sides of that marketplace. Yes, I, I would like to um, tell you a quick story here, kind of a fun story in my regards, circling back to that that lesson learned about 10 years ago. And then maybe you could pinpoint, and I know what I did wrong, but I'd love to hear your, your comments on it as well. So long story short, Groupon being a marketplace, you have your businesses, consumers on the same platform. Groupon takes 50%, usually at the time and prior, this was 2013, of course, but you know, it's 2000. 10 through 13 when they're really thriving, but they 50% of the ticket sales and you have a restaurant that uh, they have really low profit margins. So they, they create a loss leader. In other words, they take a loss to bring people in, as you know, and then with the hopes that those people that come to a restaurant with the group on, they return thereafter and of course pay full price. And idea came up with a buddy of mine was what if businesses took 100% of the profits but paid a monthly subscription of 100 bucks? And we started talking to businesses and businesses were like, where can I sign or where can I sign up for this thing? So we start selling this thing like hotcakes hand over fist to businesses. We're gonna run into the problem here in a second, so bear with me. (laughs) But we got a $2 million buyout offer, which we declined because we're stupid and it probably wouldn't have went anywhere. But when we launched, it was crickets. And the reason was we could not find a way to build the consumer base fast enough to satisfy the businesses. And we talked to venture Mm -hmm. capitalists and they were like, 
their response was cool idea, but you're like four years late to the party. The whole daily deal thing was starting to phase out. You, re- you probably remember living social and there are a bunch of knockoffs out there. But yeah, t- that, the big lesson learned was making sure you can build both audiences at once. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And two is market timing with other, every business <laughs> idea. We're just too late in this case. So I'll stop there. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, you did have a great pull for the businesses there, it sounds like, because uh, it, it that's a great deal. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, if you got a lot of uh, consumers joining the platform, eventually you could raise that price to the, the businesses and it wouldn't have to be 100. It could have been a couple hundred. Right. Um, but you can't do that until you have the consumers. So, you know, the way I look at at uh, how you balance, uh, you know, g- going up uh, like a, a, a seesaw kind of, you know, back and forth, back and forth is going to be number one, you need to figure out how much it's going to, it needs to cost, not how much does it cost? How much is it going to need to cost for you to acquire a consumer or a supplier, you know, somebody on each, either side of the equation. Uh, So customer acquisition costs are CAC. And to do that, I'm going to look at, you know, when, when a transaction occurs on your platform, what, price do you get as a company? What revenue do you bring in from that? And then now minus the cost to produce your product or your service. And that can be both your fixed and variable costs. Or in some situations, I'll just look at the variable costs knowing that any profit I'm uh, getting above the the variable costs is going to start paying down the fixed costs. So then take the revenue amount that's going to come from a successful transaction. And minus the cost that's gonna that is required to produce that service, and then so that's your potential profit before deducting the CAC, the customer acquisition cost. So that that CAC needs to be below that potential profit number to allow uh, better than a break even or loss. And you know when you talked about how like on on that platform, some businesses would be willing, you know, on the traditional Groupon platform they'll mm-hmm. lose 50% but they're they're doing it as that loss leader to then later try to retain the customer for me i don't like to you know yes with like venture capital and different things you could build up your audience on both sides at a major loss with hope that later you you're able to flip it to profit i like to do it in a more steady way where i like to profit from day 1 so when I'm saying about the, okay, this is how much revenue is going to come in from a successful transaction for you. And now you know how much you have for CAC once you, you know, you know your costs and everything. So all I look at is how do I make that CAC be achievable and earn $1, just $1. Like, and then at, as long as you're able to start bringing in customers at $1, then you can start to optimize that after there. So once once the uh, the different campaigns, the different ways of generating those leads are done, then you are able to continue to optimize and bring that CAC down and build that margin. As that margin grows and as that profit's occurring, any type of profit there, I'm reinvesting in more and more ads or more and more of the campaign until I'm hitting, I, I, I'll go all the way until I'm hitting uh, diminishing returns there. And once I start hit, hitting diminishing returns, then you got to look at the either new channels where you can achieve again that initial K 
CAC that is going to be just below your break even and or new locations. You've got to spread out and, and look for new uh, areas that you can achieve consumers. So what this means is it's a slower build. It's a slower build to uh, on both sides of the marketplace. However, what that also means is you do it and and these campaign this CAC could be on either side of the marketplace. You know, you could have the CAC on the consumer side, uh, or like for me, let's say on the Simply Homes, you could have the CAC on the uh, home seller side, or you could have the CAC on the investor side. But nevertheless, you never grow one side too big. You you continue to go back and forth, back and forth. And yes, you may have a small marketplace. A small marketplace by itself is not bad as long as it's profitable. If what it what to me would be worse is to build a big marketplace that is not profitable and then come to find out later you're never able to make it profitable. Mm. So I would rather build a small marketplace and continue and then it starts compounding because then once you 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 know it's just like any other compounding feature that as more and more people start joining both sides, then there's more referrals, more recommendations, more word of mouth, and and that profit's growing. So the amount you're reinvesting, the amount that you're you're continuing to grow at it, you're you're growing it at a compounding rate. But this is how I like to do it. This is how I advise businesses: don't dig that deep hole that then you may or may not get out of. And also, you on the marketplace, you've got to keep it even on both sides, or it, it will never really make sense. I I love that. It's is setting. This is a good takeaway for the audience. A, a nice, steady, uh, slow and steady process on both sides. I like your teeter totter analogy. There is you got, for example, a business and consumers all in one platform. Is grow them slowly, and don't get too out of hand on each side. Yeah, we were way off balance with our model, getting all the businesses, but not enough consumers. So that was that was one big mistake. But um, in your case, you mentioned ads. Are you running ads to monitor a CAC on both, let's say, a business and consumer side? Or are you do you kind of treat it like what we did back then 10 years ago is do a more sales approach? You had a salesperson selling the businesses and then try to run the ads to bring in the consumers. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean it can be it can be either or. You really just need to look at um, who your your target is for for on both sides of that marketplace and and what's going to work best for achieving the reach and the trust and the you know winning the hearts and minds of the the audience on each side. So you may you may run an ad campaign on um, the consumer side, but you may run a sales more of a a, a business development relationship a campaign on the um, on the business side. So. Sure. Okay. No, that makes sense. And now I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about your experience with, you know, Jim Collins, you know, big inspiration as well. When I read Good to Great, you know, about a decade ago, I was like, okay, uh, the flywheel was like this visual uh, strategy to, to see that inflection point in a business that really goes to a whole new level. Um, do you have any like... Um, takeaways or strategies or anything that you've seen with the business you help when they hit that inflection point on either the the business or the consumer side? Yeah, I would say, you know, that's when now when you start getting that momentum and you start achieving that scale, that's not a time to slow down. That's a time to keep that's where I'm saying like 
it, it compounds. You need to keep reinvesting the profit. I'm not trying to squeeze out a lot of profit during that period. I, I'm reinvesting almost all that profit, never reinvesting to a point where you're back in debt again, but reinvesting back down to close to a break even amount. Yes. And continuing to compound. What I would say though is you will hit a point where there's the potential joiners or members of the market uh, on both sides will uh, start to run out or you will start to at least receive diminishing returns on both. And and at that point, that's where I'm saying you can uh, enter new locations, expand your marketplace wider, or you can try to see if there's another way to um, another channel to to try to figure out uh, achieving that CAC. But Ultimately, a market, some markets will cap out. And when they cap out, I think the goal would be just maintain, maintain and retain and then, you know, and, and go start another market, create mm-hmm. start creating another flywheel then. Uh, I'd like to talk about because we had a lot of bootstrappers on this podcast. You know, they might not have the ad spend to bring in consumers and businesses, especially both. Um, do you have any strategies that anybody can use, like on the consumer side, to create some kind of viral effect where you're, you've got a person buying and they're sharing it with their friends and then they share it with their friends and some kind of strategy that does that? Yeah, I mean, I think you can give away, you think about what can you give away beyond monetary means to encourage I guess, uh, influencer relationships. So the people out there kind of spreading the word and put and posting about it. So, um, depending on your product, you can, or, or service, you can, you can give them the free product or service. You know, I heard a, a thing, I was listening to a, um, a book the other day about when Bitcoin was just starting. And we probably, some of us have heard of the, the idea that somebody bought, a couple pizzas, I think from Papa John's or something for several thousand Bitcoins, or I don't know what the amount was, but some uh, quite a few Bitcoins. And the purpose was people were starting to, at that point, like earn Bitcoin, I guess you could say, but it was worth nothing because it had never been used in a transaction before. So it was by the, the way of saying, okay, it didn't matter what the value was, just finding a way to use it in a transaction. Somebody took a risk like, okay, this is probably worth nothing, but I'll give you a couple pizzas for, you know, uh, these Bitcoins. And the fact that it starts to be used in one transaction creates the, where others will heard or follow or see that social proof there that it's something to engage with. So where I'm going with this is, you know, you on your platform, you may give a free subscription to somebody for two years and that subscription may be worth nothing. But if they're posting about it and other people start seeing social proof of it, then that subscription is going to become start to become more and more valuable as more and more people join. So just give away what you can there, uh, knowing you may be giving away what later is very valuable, but right now has no value. But that's an alternative to money, though, on your marketplace. Does that sure. make sense? Or it, it does. What I'm extracting from your tips there is, is it, I find it a little easier there to create a viral effect on the consumer side because they can share it with their friends and maybe by sharing, they unlock 
maybe a extra discount or maybe additional extended membership, whether it's by month or by year, or something something that incentivizes them to create this viral effect. That's the same strategy you can apply to B 2 C SaaS, mm-hmm. which is our model at Ticker. Um, but that's that's where things can get really fun if it's something that people are motivated to share with their friends, and then you watch that that domino uh, just. It, it's a great visual I like to look at is like they just keep falling and everybody's coming to your platform. Well, and I think, you know, and if, if that's the case, so you start getting people on that one side, then now you can, you can just like in your case where you, you created the, the Groupon type thing and you had so many businesses wanting to do it, but you had not the consumers, right. you, you could take, hey, we've got all these great businesses come here and you you have to make an attractive offer for the consumers to come in and know that there's a lot of value here as a consumer if you join this. And so for you, like, uh, let's say like a ticker, you're getting people to join. The more you get people to join, what that's going to allow you to do is create more features, add new features and more value to the consumers. And I mean, Netflix, same way, right? Like yeah. more subscribers, more money to invest in more content. So um, you're taking the, uh, maybe on, on that side, you've got a lot of consumers joining the platform and now you can go back and approach investors and say why there's a lot of value now because, and so you're just, you're leveraging and like basically negotiation between both sides and you're mm-hmm. trying to play up the value of the other side when pitching to the opposite side. And then, yeah, try to get more from the opposite side at that point. Sure. Okay. Now, in your case, are you working with a lot of uh, venture capital backed uh, marketplaces or have you worked with some bootstrapped marketplaces? Yeah, both. Um, I also worked with a, uh, a family that owned a factory. They'd been producing for 20 years, private label, and they wanted to build some brands where they would uh, own the brand that's going to market um, instead of selling to a, a well-established brand. And so that was, you know, that's a, that's a well-financed private family, but it's still nevertheless a private family that is, is, um, you know, uh, bootstrapping their own, their own launch of their brands and different yeah. things. They've got, it sounds like a revenue stream from their main business that can fund the marketplace initiative. Yeah. And, but, but let's make it more like to the lower, to the somebody that that's maybe not uh, in that financial position. Right. That's where I'm saying from the, the beginning of this podcast, when I was like, okay, well, make it a small marketplace. And just, you don't have to have a lot of money to go get if it's 10, one, one or 10 on one side of the marketplace and one or 10 members on the other side of the marketplace, that may not take a lot of money. It may also, it probably at that point doesn't bring in a lot of money either. But if you take the approach, I was saying, it's not going to be at a loss. It's going to be at a uh, a break even or slightly profit base. But the point is then you keep growing it. It's not a ri- get rich quick. You know, you may not get rich off one marketplace. It may take you, you may have to have 20 different spinning plates or something, 20 different uh, flywheels going, 20 different markets going. Well, you may have to have your main job and you're building this marketplace on the side, but that marketplace will start uh, compounding through time if you take this slow and steady approach. And that's going to uh, eventually get to where maybe it will be fully sustainable where you don't need to focus on anything else because it is uh, bringing in so much once it compounds up to that point. 
Yeah, right on. It it is a really solid business model. I know I was talking to somebody about B two B. You've got B two C SaaS, but uh, an incredible business model is a marketplace. If you can really get it running, and you're just facilitating, you've got the tech, you've got the platform, and you let those two audiences grow, and you're taking a part of the transaction fee in most cases. It is really a scalable business model. It's something special. It just takes some work to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you earning from that transaction fee and how can you create a transaction for less than that transaction fee? Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you want free access to a ticker course of your choice? There are two ways to do this. Option one, if you use an iPhone, we're looking for a Top Stocks podcast five-star review. Simply go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Option two, if you don't use an iPhone, then you obviously can't use Apple Podcasts, which means we're looking for a five-star review on Ticker. Simply go to the Ticker homepage, just go to ticker.com, look for the Trust Index logo, it's right at the top of the site. Click the logo and you can either leave a review on Trustpilot or Google. Now, in order to get free access, you need to send us a screenshot. So please take a screenshot of your review and send it to support at ticker.com. But again, you can either leave a review on the Top Stocks podcast or on Ticker itself. We'll pick a new winner every week and send a coupon code so you can gain access to a course of your choice. Okay, back to the show. Before we jump to the rapid fire round, do you have a key takeaway you can give to anybody looking to start a marketplace? Make it uh, uh, user-friendly, make it very uh, easy to understand, not too technical, not too complex, make the barriers to entry very low for both sides. There are elements of where you may attract, let's say on the side where I'm talking about like home investors, if you make it where we're not accepting a home investor for less than somebody who wants to buy 500 homes or something, you're eliminating all the people like myself or something who may want to come in and invest on like one to 10 homes, you know, as an individual, but you're not, but you're not an institutional person. So you're making the barriers to entry higher, but as a result, you're in that case, you're with exclusivity. And I mean, you're making it a attractive thing to the big players at that point. So you got to decide who you want. Do you want to make the barriers, the entry very low on one or both sides? That's all just a positioning play. But I would say in general, it just needs to be uh, user friendly and you need to make it doable. The target market on each side, there has to be enough target market on each side who can reasonably enter the marketplace. Got it. Right on. All right. Well, thank you for the context on building a marketplace. What I'd like to do next is jump into the rapid fire round where we get to find out who Brandon really is. If you can try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Sounds good. All right. What is your favorite podcast? I like the Russell Brunson podcast. He's the founder of ClickFunnels. Um, Mm -hmm. a, A lot of great stuff there. And I think also understanding one thing I find interesting is he sometimes puts people, a person as the face of the business, and that is the the main character of the business. And so if you listen into that podcast, you'll probably understand yep. more of that. Yep. Very familiar. All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? Yeah. So there's Harvard Business Review. Uh, must They have like a must read series. And so there's one kit that goes over business in general. It's like basically like a mini MBA. 
Uh, so it's all kind of all, all, all facets of business, but then they have specialties. So I've been, uh, I finished that first one and now I've been reading into, um, their sales and marketing series. Yeah. Got it. All right. Movie question. What is your favorite movie? Uh, Rudy. Good one. Football movie. Notre oh, yeah. Dame. Very yeah. familiar. Sean Astin. Yeah. Sean Astin. Exactly. I, Cause you know, I like the underdog stories. So yeah. it's, uh, it's that persistence and, and drive to keep going. Yeah, it's a great movie. Love it. All right, a few business questions. What is the worst advice you ever received? Worst advice I ever received is probably to to not go back to school. I I went back and did my MBA. It was like kind of like don't keep learning, but I know what they were they were meaning. It was like just get the work experience because work experience is just as valuable. Uh, it, it's all about though, just continuing to learn. So it doesn't matter where you learn or how you learn. It's just you, you the, the idea don't, don't ever take advice that like you should stop learning though. It's just how you learn is, is up to you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. Flip through equation here. What is the best advice you ever received? Uh, probably just understanding that life's a marathon. Um, you know, it's not a, a short sprint. So you got to be resilient and you got to be long-term focused. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was Anthony Robbins who, uh, Tony Robbins, who said the, uh, a lot of people kind of overestimate what they can do in the short term, but underestimate what they can do mm -hmm. in the long term. So, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. All right. And the time machine question, if you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? Uh, I would go back to probably just uh, the period of completing high school and entering college because, you you know, you pick a major, you do all these things and do internships and, and you then you, you graduate and you start out in the working force. And um, you think that you meet that that life is only going in one direction and you don't really understand that it's going to pivot in many ways and that all things kind of work for good and all things like you may not see it at the point in time what you're doing how it's going to play into as a strength for you later but years down the line you can find you can find value from any experience i guess that that would be it it's just find value in every experience right on Right on. All right. And where can the audience reach you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's uh, kind of the main platform I'm on. Uh, my name is spelled B-R-A-N-D-E-N. So Brandon Cobbs and then C-O-B-B. Or you can reach out to me at Brandon at marketingexec.us. And I'd be happy to answer any questions you have or, or give you a consultation if you need. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Brandon. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. All right. See ya. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for spending some time with me. Also, if you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? The more reviews we get, the more Apple will share this podcast with the world. So thanks for doing that. And last thing, if you do hear any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not make a buy or sell decision based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later. See ya.